Amen. Thank you, Mr. Nett. Good word. Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 2. Continuing our study through the book of Esther. Gonna jump right into the text once we get there. Very good. Let's go ahead and jump right in to the text. And uh, good morning. Hope you're ready to hear from God um, through His Word. I'm excited for today, our fall festival. Excited for that. Always a good time. Aaron Brady and Ray and Christy have done so much work for that. Man, I, somebody asked me, "What's the plan for the fall festival?" I said, "I have no idea." But they are—they have a plan, and it, it's all coming together, and we're really excited for that tonight. Um, so make sure you're in your place for that. Esther chapter 2, we're going to read the whole chapter, 23 verses, and then we will get into our service. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. We read, we read this verse two weeks ago when we started Esther. He's referring to the dismissal of his queen if you remember, he went to war. This is three years after he dismissed his queen. He comes back from a disappointing war, and he remembers Vashti. And he, I don't want to read into the text, but you can see the regret in his decision. He remembered Vashti, what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the young virgins into Shusha and the palace of the house of the women, that the custody of Hege, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their thanks for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. The king's advisors come before him and say, Look, we know you're sad. You miss Queen Vashti. Let's find you a new queen. The best way to do that is to gather up the young, pretty ladies in the kingdom, and we will let you pick your favorite. Verse number five. Now, in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai. This is our first introduction to Mordecai. This is Esther's uncle. Uh, verse number five, who was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem um, with the captivity, which had been carried away with uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Now, remember, this is not Mordecai who was carried away. This was his grandfather who was carried away. So he is a third-generation slave in previously the nation of Babylon, now uh, the nation of Persia. Verse number seven, he brought up Hadash. That is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai from her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. Verse number eight, so it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together under Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, and Esther was brought also into the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women, and the maiden pleased him. And she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her uh, things of, for purification, which such things belonged to her, and seven maidens, which were meet uh, to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred. It means she had not shown that she was of Jewish descent. Uh, she was a Jew. For Mordecai had charged her that he should not show it. Her uncle said, do not let them know that you are a Jew. Verse 11, and Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did. And what should become of her? Now when every maid's turn was come to the king, to King Ahasuerus, after she had been 12 months, according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to wit, six months with oil and myrrh, and six months with sweet odors, and with other things for the purifying of the women. Then thus came every maiden of the king, whatsoever she desired, was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shagaz, the king's chamberlain, 
which kept the concubines. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her. And she were called by name. Now in the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, she came to go into the king. She required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus into his house, royal in the tenth month, which was the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight. More than all the virgins, so that he had set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Verse number 18. The king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she brought up with him. Verse number 21, in those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of the, whose kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king was known to Mordecai who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified thereof in Mordecai's name. And when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out, therefore, that they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of, chron of, of the Chronicles before the king. Let's pray, and we will jump in. Dear Lord, thank you for the service, Lord, already. I've been blessed by the singing and the fellowship of God's people, Lord. And as we hear your word, help it to do something in our hearts, Lord, as we learn of Esther and Mordecai and King Ahasuerus and this storybook-like story um, that was all done for the preservation of your people and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we read this text, as we, as we learn from it, try to apply it to our lives, Lord, help us to, to keep you first and foremost in all of that, Lord. And later on, as we get to see baptisms, uh, people who have, you know, either been recently saved or been saved for a while, finally taking that step of obedience and, and uh, getting baptized, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for allowing our church to be active in baptism, Lord. People actively um, growing in their faith, Lord. Thank you for that. And help us have a good service today and as well in the 1030, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, chapter number two. This is the story. This is the story. This is the beauty pageant that we talked about last week. King Ahasuerus is lonely. He's sad. He misses his wife. Now, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. This man has got two harems of women, okay? He, he's doing okay in the women department. Two harems. One is a harem of concubines, which is, uh, you know, like not wives, but service the king in the ways that he, he requires, wants, needs, whatever. And then he's got another harem of wives. He's got plenty of wives. However, he does not have a queen. He does not have a queen. He dismissed his queen, Queen Vashti, three years prior. We don't really know what happened to her, where she went. I don't know if she's still present. It's not like he killed her. He just kind of kicked her out. She's gone. He's got women, but he doesn't have a queen. So the young men, it's funny. If you look in chapter 1, the old men are who advise them there. The young men advise them here. The young men say, let's get you a new queen. So they gather um, a bunch of the, the Bible says, fair young virgins, uh, which is the most preferred at the time. These were women that were sought after. Uh, this was an honor to be considered to be the queen of this great nation. It's not just the queen of a small little country. This is the most powerful kingdom in the realm. You had the chance to become the queen of this kingdom. So they do a year-long co competition where they set these women aside for a year. They do six months of purification in these odors, six months in these odors. They, they're preparing themselves. They each get their own maidens. They each get their own, what, the Bible says, whatever they request, they are given to prepare themselves to see the queen. And the way it works, I don't want to get too, too graphic, but the way it basically worked was they all had a night with the king, if you, if you read the text. Um, doesn't really, in the King James, you don't really see that too well, but if you, if you read it, they all have a night with the king. And the Bible says that once they have their night, the only way they see the king again is if he requests them unto them. So 
they all go in, they have their night with the king, and if he likes you, he may request you again. So these women are all considered his concubines, whatever it is. If he requests you again, then eventually he would marry you, and then he sets you aside to be his queen. That's what happened to Esther. She goes in. Now, if you go back to probably not the best Jewish people, right, Mordecai and Esther. Think of his uncle. Imagine you're an uncle giving your niece up. This is, is we, we like to romanticize the Bible, and this sounds like a really cool story. But if we think of this, like, in real terms of if my uncle did this to me, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're thinking of, like, he put her up to be used by the king. So he uses her. He likes her. The Bible says that she finds favor in the sight of the king, and he requests her again. And he finds, he, he loves Esther, really into Esther. He makes her his queen. And the Bible says that Mordecai was very involved in the process. He put her up, but he also visited the house daily to see what was going on with Esther, what was just kind of keeping track of her progress. She's made queen. She becomes a queen. Boom, Mordecai, back to work. He says that in verse number 20, 21, Mordecai was in the king's gate, the king's gate, kind of an entrance to the city. This is where a lot of business took place. This is probably Mordecai's place of work. So he does this big thing. Boom, his niece is the queen who he raised. Um, but it's kind of secret that, he, that that's his niece, right? Because Mordecai, a known Jew, Esther, not a known Jew. They're trying to keep that secret for whatever reason. There was probably already a good bit of anti-Semitic behavior going around. These were former slaves just a generation before. So the, the Persian people probably didn't love the Jews already. Find out later on, they tried to Killed them all, so pretty obvious, some anti-Semitism going on. So she's kept her Judaism a secret. Mordecai checks up on her. She's the queen. She won the beauty pageant. Yay, yay, yay. He goes back to work. He goes back to work. He goes back to work at the king's gate. If you can see coincidence in this, you're crazy. This is clearly the hand of God active in the lives of Esther, active in the lives of Mordecai, active in the life of King Ahasuerus. He goes back to work and he overhears a plot of two of the king's chamberlains. These are the same chamberlains that were just involved in this beauty pageant, I'm sure. He overhears a plot to, to cause harm to the king. He overhears it. He goes to Esther. Esther goes to the king and the king hangs the two men. Later on, we'll read chapter 3. Mordecai's kind of promoted with it. He's kind of, he kind of receives blessings for this. But that's the story of chapter 2. Wins the beauty pageant, and then it's like, okay, that story's done. Nope, three verses of pretty wild story in its own. He overhears a plot to assassinate the king, tells Esther. Esther tells the king, and he's kind of earning favor. This is really the story of Esther earning favor in the sight of the king, and then Mordecai earning favor in the sight of the king, all for a short-term goal. Yes, let's win the beauty pageant, let's become queen. Yes, let's save the king here. But there's also the long-term goal of the preservation of God's people. Don't miss that. As we're in the short term, yes, this is cool. This is a really, he just saved the king's life. That's awesome. But don't miss the long term of saving the line of Christ, our Savior, right? We talked a couple weeks ago how this is our history because this is why we have Jesus is because of the events of Esther. If not, if you realize that the Jewish nation at this time, although technically free, was still under the rule of Persia. So if Haman, which we'll read about later, the villain of the story, if he executed his plan and killed all the Jews. This was not just the Jews in Shushan the palace. This was the Jews in the entire nation, which was also Jerusalem, also the Jewish nation. He would have killed them all. So this is a big story. This is an important story. See the short term, yes. Don't miss the long term. Don't miss the long term. Now, if we look at this, if we look at this story, what can we learn from it? Well, I want to ask you a question. This question is kind of our, our whole sermon, and I, I don't know if it's going to be a short sermon or a long sermon. I really don't know. I'm, I, I was very nervous this morning for this sermon. I'm not really sure uh, why I'm more nervous than typical, um, but I, I'm going to ask a simple question, but there's, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. And the question is this. Do you believe God? Do you believe God? Ask another question. Do you 
believe God. I think, um, well, let me ask this. When God speaks, does that settle it for you? When the word of God is clear on something, does that settle it for you? You know, I think many Christians believe they think, think they believe God because their culture happens to line up with a lot of God's word. Now, let's think about this for a second. I, I'm t- I want you all to get this and then three applications then we're going to wrap it up. I think many of us were raised by good people. How many people love their parents? No one don't raise your hand. That would be awkward. If your parents are in the room, please raise your hand. Everyone loves their parents. Doug, Doug's hands up high. <laughs> we all love our parents. Man, my parents were good people. My grandparents were good people. And I'm a, I think, I, th- we like, I mean, I think we're good people, right? We're good people. We've been raised by good people. And we've been raised around church. Man, it's hard to be in Statesville, North Carolina and not be around church. Every, if you, there, you could hit about 15 fall festivals today if you wanted to. They're everywhere. It's easy to be, we're raised by good people. We're raised in a Christian culture. And what happens is a lot of our personal morality, a lot of our right and wrongs was defined by our good parents and our Christian culture. And a lot of what we deem right and wrong is what the Bible deems right and wrong. So what happens is we get in church, we grow up in youth group, we grow up in, teen, uh, in junior church, youth group, we get in church, we get married, we have families, and we look back and we say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe God. When God speaks, I listen. Because what your heart says actually does match up with a lot of God's word. Let me, let me let's work through it a little bit. If I were to say sin, sin destroys, right? We all agree with that. Sin destroys. And what happens is this. We agree that sin destroys when we've seen sin destroy. So if I say this, if I say alcoholism, drug addiction, we've, many of us have seen, many of us have been close to that, many of us have seen it in, in loved ones, we've seen that that sin destroys. So we all, we all agree. Do you believe that God's sins destroy? Yeah, we've seen, we've witnessed sin destroy. So we say, yes, we, we believe God. However, when we have a heart of pride, we have a heart of jealousy, we have a heart of bitterness, Maybe not as evident, the destruction is maybe not as evident as with a, a, a drug addiction or alcoholism. So we say we believe God when it's evident, but when our sin's destruction isn't as evident, we're more okay with it. We swallow it a little bit better. Because our culture's more okay with it. The Christian culture is very okay with pride. I don't know if you've realized that. Christian culture, church culture, they're pretty okay with pride. They may preach against every now and then, they practice it a lot. Very okay with pride. So because our culture's okay with it, although God, God's very clear about how he feels about pride, very clear how he feels about bitterness, very clear how he feels about jealousy, all these sins that we all carry around kind of happily enclosed in us, very clear how he feels about them, but because our culture isn't, adamantly, isn't as adamantly against them or we haven't seen the destruction as clearly, we're kind of okay with it. And we say we believe God when it matches what's been proven in our heads. Here's this. Believing God has nothing to do with what's been proven in your head. Believing God is when the word of God speaks, you listen. Whether your culture agrees with it, whether your nature agrees with it, whether it's hard to swallow, whatever it is, if you believe God, no matter what he says, you take. Because that's what God said. I think many of us say we believe God until we don't. We say we believe God. We say when the word of God, man, we stand on the Bible. Until the Bible disagrees with our heart, and then we stand on our heart. And our culture is such a good culture. Our parents were such good people that we have a hard time differentiating 
between what's been proven to us and what's God's word. And here's the thing. God's word doesn't have to be proven to you to be God's word. God's word is God's word. God's word is unfallible. God's word is, is completely incorruptible. It's completely perfect, completely true fact. And you need to take God's word as God's word rather than, okay, that's God's word. We'll see. That's much of our, that's much of our Christianity. That's much of our southern Christianity is we will take God at his word as long as he proves it eventually. So, let me ask you this. Do you believe God? When God's word speaks, is that enough for you? In the story of Esther, there, there's so much, it's so funny because um, the, 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 the theme that Matt put on, they're finding God in a godless world. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but God is more evident in the book of Esther than, the, I mean, he's just as evident in Esther as he is any other book of the Bible. He's so active. And when God speaks, when God does, do we listen? This morning I want to challenge you to believe God. Not just to believe him when your nature allows it, but to believe God when he speaks. When God speaks, believe it. There's three things kind of in the story of Esther that I want to, I want to, you to believe, and then we're going to make it a little bit bigger at the end. But do you believe? Do you believe God? The first is this. Do you believe that God made you how he wanted you. Do you believe that God made you who you are? If you look at the story of Esther, verse number 7, the Bible says that, he, uh, and he brought up Hadash, that is Esther, that was her Jewish name, this is her, uh, her Persian name, Esther would mean star, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful. If that, that word fair and beautiful, if you, if you study that out a little bit, what that means is she had a good figure, her body, she had a good body and a good face. She had the complete package. Now, it's all easy to say, yeah, we believe that God made us the way we want when, when we have the complete package, right? Esther had the complete package at the time, whatever the beauty standard was then, I'm sure it's different than it is now, because there was a purpose in how God made her. If she did not have that, I doubt she wins the beauty pageant, right? How she looked, how she was physically made matters. She had a beautiful face, beautiful figure. The truth is this. God made you exactly how he wanted you. Psalm 139, 19 says this, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. Genesis 127 says, God, so God created his man in his own image. In the image of God created he male and female, created he them. So let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that the way you're made is exactly the way God wanted you to be? To be honest, it is easy to feel like God made me how he wanted me to be when you're beautiful in every way. When you're the model, when you're just perfect, when everything's going for you like it was for Esther, it's easy to say, yep, God made me this way. Thank you, God. But when it's not, it's not as easy. The tr God's truth is this. God made you the way he wanted you, and you should find comfort and peace whether you see that or not. Whether you see that or not. Because God's truth is bigger than you. We question how God made us our entire lives. This sounds like a, like, teenage girl, hey, you're beautiful. You you belong. No, we question how God made us our entire lives. I don't care if you're a girl, boy, I don't care if you're young or old. Teenagers, girls are unhappy with how they look, how they're built, how, they, how, how God made them. They're unhappy. Boys are unhappy with their abilities. I was the slowest kid my entire life. I know I look so athletic and cool. Not true. <laughs> slowest kid. Slowest kid. From hips down. I've had these hips and downs since I was like eight years old. I swear, really slow 10-year-old kid. We, we, we question how God made us. It sounds silly. That's doubting God. That's not believing God. Adults, you're confident, you're confident in your bodies until you have kids. And then 
that plummets. I'm not, I'm not your body. I'm talking about your confidence. You're still beautiful. Sammy, you were so beautiful. Get back to it. Tighten up. We're happy with how God made us until we experience the gift of life. Let's be honest, though. We experience the gift of life, and then we're angry at how God, what God did to our bodies. You don't believe God. Adults, men, we start to break down. Can't do what we once do. This is a very sad story. Tuesday, James Byerly, I don't think he's in the service. He'll be in the next. He bought a basketball hoop down here. We didn't set it up. Him and Dylan came in and set it up. Me and Coleman walked out there at the very end of the day. Um, we shot around for maybe, what, five, ten minutes, nothing. Shot around, went home, did Bible study that Tuesday night, woke up the next morning. A little sore right here. <laughs> I'm saying we shot for ten minutes, not even. Sore right here. I didn't even notice. I was like, what? why am I sore? Came back to church Wednesday night. I was shooting around basketball with a little bit of the teenagers, and I put up a shot, and I was like, dang, I am sore. I'm young. I can't imagine what Matt and Coleman go through. <laughs> I, don't know how they, I don't know how they're walking. Like, I don't. Our bodies break down. Our bodies break down. I mean, to get a little bit more serious, you get a little bit older. Sickness comes. Life comes. I don't know. We've got saints in our church who are not able to do what they used to do, and it's killing them. Their bodies are breaking down. I, 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 think, of, I think of Ed. I think of Barbara and, and Raymond just going through life. That's how God made you. God made you for that stage of life. And I don't get it. I wish you could still do. I wish you could still go. I think of Ed and Kay. They're the most active 80-year-old, uh, 70, 60, 50, I don't even know how old. They're the most active people. I'm serious. They're the most active people that I've ever seen for their age and for their health. And they go, go, go. And yet the, the time is still time. And life is still life. And now Ed's body is failing. And he's struggling. And people are struggling. And our bodies are breaking down. And we believe that God made us when our bodies are great. We, man, we're so thankful for life when life is good. But when life goes away, we don't want it to, we stop believing God. But God made you the way you are, whether you're 15, 85. God made you that way. He's got a purpose for you being that way. I don't know what it is. You think, you think everyone, you think Esther knew her purpose with her, for her beauty whenever she was growing up? I highly doubt it. But she had a purpose for her. You think of the, the great st the story of Amy Carmichael. I remember hearing that story when I was a little kid. She was a girl, um, a missionary to India who saved several, several kids. Um, she, really cool story. If you know anything about mission stories, we used to have her mission story every week in uh, junior church growing up. She had brown eyes that she hated, hated her brown eyes. She used to beg God that she was from Ireland. She wanted blue Irish eyes. She hated, hated her brown eyes. And then later on in her life, she ended up being able to, to literally stain her skin brown in order to rescue kids from these Indian temples who were sacrificing kids. And the only way she was able to get through it is because she would stain her skin, wear head coverings, and her brown eyes was able to allow her to save all these kids. And for years, she was angry at God for giving her something that she didn't want physically. And God said, I've got something bigger for you than you ever realize. So why waste time not believing God? Believe God. Believe, God that believe that God made you the way you are. Parents, teach your kids this truth. Let your kids' confidence come from the word of God rather than you because you fail and it doesn't. Teach your daughters that God made them exactly how they're supposed to be and let that come from God's word rather than you. Let it come from you too, but let it come from God's word first and foremost. Your kids need to hear that. Your teenagers need to hear that. You need to hear that. God made you exactly who you are. Do you believe that? 
Secondly, do you believe that God placed you exactly where you are? Do you believe that God placed you exactly where you are? we got to hustle. Verse number 5 and 6. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Verse number 21 and 23. He just so happened to be back at work uh, where Mordecai heard the plot in order to save the king. The truth is this. God has you exactly where he wants you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that where you are is not an accident, but rather part of God's providential plan? We believe that when we're in an appealing place, it is easy to give God thanks for having us be there. But as soon as we're not, we don't believe God. As soon as our geography, as soon as our position, as soon as our place is not lined up with what our vision of it should be, we no longer believe God. God's truth is this. God has a purpose for you being where you're at, whether it's appealing to you or not. Mordecai. The grandson of slaves, grew up as a slave. He adopted his niece, right? Parents, we don't know this, we don't know how exactly, but Esther's parents died. He adopts his niece. And this guy probably wasn't the fun, godly uncle that he likes to get credit for. He did give his niece away to be um, like the wife, the hundredth wife of a king um, who wasn't that good of a guy. Could have very easily been disgruntled about his place, right? He just got Esther the queenship, and yet right after that, he's back at work at the king's gate. Could have been disgruntled, could have been angry. I'm trying to read into the text, just trying to see what's there. He could have not been happy that Esther was queen and he was still just Mordecai. But instead of being disgruntled, instead of being bitter, instead of being angry, he was right where God had him. And he had his ears open to what God had for him that day. And he was able to gain more favor for Esther, more favor for himself. That would eventually, what, down the road, provide the plan that would save the entire race of Jews and would eventually save our Savior Jesus Christ. All because Mordecai was in a place that he may not have wanted to be in, but that where God had him. And that's where he could be active. We believe God placed us when we are in the palace. We believe that God placed us when we're in the beauty pageant. We believe God's places when the blessings of God are clearly visible and clearly evident. We believe that God places when our truth lines up with God's truth. Whenever our truth lines up with God's truth, man, God has us here for a reason. Right? We love that Esther verse. Such a time as this. We're going to get to that. Such a time as this. When it's a good time. Not as much when it's not. We don't believe. Do we believe God? Let me ask you this. Do we believe God? has us where he wants us when other people are flourishing, but we're just back at the king's gate. What about when our brother steals our birthright? What about when our brothers sell us into slavery and we're falsely accused of rape and have to go to jail for years? Think of Joseph. What about when our nation is enslaved for 400 years for absolutely nothing but growing? What about when we have to wander the desert for 40 more years all because our parents didn't have faith in God? What about when we're conquered and enslaved again by the Babylonian Empire? What about when we're thrown in the lion's den just for praying? What about when the doctors can't find a solution? What about when the treatment's not, not very fun? What about when our loved ones are fighting for their lives? What about when it would be easier to walk away from our marriage than to stick with it? Do you believe that God has you there? Or is it just in the blessing? Because God has you exactly where you are no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through. Either God has us in the palm of his hand and he is sovereign or he's not. You know the place where you can do the most for God? You know the, you know the place where God has the biggest plan for you? Exactly where you're at. Exactly where you're at. Wherever God has placed you, believe that he has placed you there for reasons bigger than you.
Mordecai had his ears open to find something bigger than himself, and he did. And that was all part of God's plan. Believe that. Believe that God made you who you are. Believe that God has you where you are. Thirdly, and we move, believe that God gave you who you have. If you think of this story, I want to, once again, don't over-romanticize the story. Think of real life. This is Esther, an orphan who had to be adopted by her uncle into, in, a, in a land that was not their home. These were slave descendants. They're technically free. It was kind of a weird situation where they were free, but definitely not equal rights. They're in this place. Although painful, God connected Esther and Mordecai and eventually added the king to the mix for purposes greater than themselves. God has given us people around us that are greater th- that for reasons greater than we can realize. The people in your life are not in your life by accident, but rather by the sovereign hand of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe the people, that the people in your life are not here by accident? And there may be a sovereign pers- purpose. Esther, she had to lose her parents. She had to go through being an orphan. Mordecai had to raise someone else's daughter. Do you not think there were hard days there? I think there was struggle as he's raising a kid that's not his own in a country where he is not well-liked and respected, but rather looked down on? Do you not think he ever questioned some of these decisions? Every relationship in your life has a divine purpose bigger than you. Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your parent, your relationship with your child, your relationship with your relatives, your relationship with your church family, your relationship with your coworkers. God has placed these people in your lives for nothing, not, not by accident one bit. And there's purpose there. And in order to do that, you must be aware of it. In order to serve the greater purpose, do you seek the divine purpose only when it matches up with your purpose? Do you, are you thankful for the relationships in your life? Are you thankful for the people that God has placed you in your life only when they are beneficial to you? But as soon as they start to be a drain on you, hey, you got to cut those people off and move on, right? Because life's better. With, you you got to get away from that. God's placed those people in your life. And although they may, this may be a season of them taking from you and you not getting from them, there's divine purpose in every relationship in our lives. And God has connected us exactly with who we should be connected with. He's divine. He's sovereign. So this is, this is the sermon. Matt, you can come play. Why do you not believe God? Why do you not believe God? Why do you not believe that he made you exactly how he wanted you? Why do you not believe that he placed you exactly where he wanted you? Why do you not believe that he's given us exactly who we need? And so many other truths of his word. This is just the three that we got from Esther chapter 2. So many truths in the Bible that we believe when it's convenient for us. But when it's not, our doubt, our lack of faith is evident. I think for many of us, the reason that we don't believe God is because the truths of God's word, we've only ever heard secondhand. Let me, let me, let me, let me talk this through for a second. Davey and Jessica. You guys started dating in high school, right? High school. I asked them before. I didn't know that. I did ask before. I remember, um, I'm a youth pastor, obviously. Love watching the middle school, high school relationships. What's the move in middle school? We all remember the move. Davey and Jessica, you like each other. Davey, you think she's so pretty and cool and you like her so much. So what's the move? You don't go tell her that, bro. No, you can't go tell her. What do you got to do? You got to get your boy to go tell her for you. That's the move. So Davey, he's nervous, right? She's so pretty, so cool. What happens is he gets Elijah and he says, Elijah, I really like Jessica, but I'm so nervous, man. My heart beats. I get sweaty. I need you to go tell her how much I like her. This is the move. I mean, this is what we all, this is what we all did, right? I mean, I, this is what we did. Yeah, okay. I'm not crazy. Okay. So 
David's like, Elijah, go tell her. So Elijah goes up to Jessica, and he's like, hey, Jessica, um, my brother, Davy, thinks you're so cool and cute, and he really likes you. And Jessica likes Davy, so she gets, ah. She likes that. She likes, it feels good to hear. It feels good to hear. She likes it. So a day goes on. Next day, I, hey, he, I still really like her. Elijah, can you go tell her? Just remind her how much I like her. So Elijah goes up, hey, Jessica, Davy still really likes you. And she, sweet. It makes her day. And then a few days go by, a few weeks, same pattern every day. Davy tells Elijah. Elijah goes and tells Jessica. Jessica tells Elijah. And their relationship is all through Elijah telling them how much they like each other. And it's good. And it's good for a few weeks. It's good for a few months. But eventually, maybe once they hit seventh grade, eventually, Jessica's going to need to hear it from Davy. Because that stuff's good, but that wears off. And you telling me how much your brother likes me does not do it for me as much as him telling me he likes me. Most of our knowledge about God, most of our knowledge of God's word and God's truths have come from someone else. It's come from a pastor. Listen right here. It's come from a father, a mother who love us so much that they poured those truths into us. And they were good truths. And those truths were just enough to get us in church on Sunday morning, maybe for the rest of our life. But the truth and the power of hearing it from someone else can only take you so far. And you know the reason why you don't believe God is because you've never heard it from God yourself. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're not opening your Bible. Worship to you is a place where you show up and watch the screen go by. You watch the service go by. You watch the opportunities go by. You hear a good sermon. Maybe it's even challenging. Maybe it even sparks you. A sermon is not enough for a relationship with God. A father who loves you and teaches you is not enough for a relationship with God. You need to be an adult and hear it from God himself. Because listen, it's a lot better coming from him. It feels good coming from a friend. But it's really good coming from the father. Because he loves you a lot more than I could. He loves you a lot more than your dad could. And the reason we doubt, the reason why our relationship is weak, the reason why our relationship is non-existent, the reason why Christians can come to church is because a second-hand relationship with God will do just enough to get us here and do nothing else. Grow up and hear it from the Father. Move on from your middle school relationship with Jesus and go have a real one. And I promise you, those moments where you don't want to believe God, when it's uncomfortable to believe God, when His truth hurts, it gets a little bit easier when you hear it from Him. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Y'all stand. We got baptisms today, but if God's speaking to you, some of you need to believe God. Some of you need to trust God. Maybe the reason you don't believe God is because you've never met God. You don't know His truths. You don't know His Savior. You don't know His saving power. He loves you more than you'll ever know. Matt, you sing.